Welcome to the Frame Your Way Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Jefferson. I'm a wife, mama to two, and full-time photographer and business coach. I created this podcast with the aspiring photographer in mind to bring you inspiring stories, strategies to help you go from zero to multiple figures, and tips and tricks to help you get one step closer to work-life harmony. Are you ready to frame your way to your dream career? Let's dive in. Okay, today I'm so excited to introduce you guys to someone who is going to talk about your most popular questions when it comes to getting legal in your business, contracts, trademarks, all the things. So I want to go ahead and hand it off to Kaylee and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. My name, again, is Kaylee Giacome, and I am a business attorney. I, um, I practiced as a trial attorney for years, and then when I was expecting my daughter, I decided to go out on my own so I could be more flexible. Um, so now I have a trademark practice that's called Brand Law Boutique, and I have another business, Contractista, where I offer attorney-drafted client contracts in different niches. So we have client contracts for coaches, virtual assistants, and photographers. I love that. I'm super excited to check your stuff out. I know for me, I I have contracts in place and I know we're going to get into all of that, but it's always nice to update things. And that's definitely one of my 2020 focuses. So I'm excited to check out your contract shop, but I want to go ahead and hand the mic over to you. I know we're going to dive into a lot of questions that photographers have when they're starting their business or when they've been doing it for so long and they figure out, oh, wait a second, I'm actually a legitimate business, but I am not legal. So I want to hand it over to you. And I think the first thing that we are going to dive into is the entity. What should we be, a sole proprietor or an LLC? So I'll let you have Mike. Yes. Okay. So first let's talk about what these two terms mean. So usually in a photography business, you're choosing between being a sole proprietor and and an LLC. These are types of business entities. A corporation is another type of business entity, but probably not appropriate for most, you know, small photography businesses. So um, just to focus on the sole proprietor versus LLC, you are a sole proprietor automatically when you start doing business in commerce, selling services or goods. You don't need to do anything to become a sole proprietor. You just are one automatically once you start offering your photography services. So your state um, or even your local county may require that you register your business or get a business license depending on where you're located, but that is just to comply with your regulations in your state. Um, Doing so doesn't make you a sole proprietor. So if you were operating as a sole proprietor and you hadn't registered, but your state required you to, you're still a sole proprietor. You just didn't follow that rule. Whereas an LLC stands for a limited liability company. And that is a totally separate entity that you create when you form it with your state. And this is all state by state. So the LLC doesn't exist at all until you go and you file to to form an LLC with your secretary of state. Um, Now, the advantage to doing so is you create a business that is separate from yourself. So when you are acting as a sole proprietor, sorry, sole proprietor providing photography services, there's no separation between you and your business. So if your business is sued, 
they could potentially come after your personal assets. So your house could be on the line. All of your personal assets um, could be subject to judgments against your business um, or debts against your business. And then vice versa. A lot of people don't consider the opposite, that if you have a thriving business and let's say you have a lot of equipment that your business owns or perhaps you own a studio, um, so you have substantial business assets and you are sued personally. If you're a sole proprietor, they can go after your business assets, which is something that you definitely want to protect against. So the advantage of forming an LLC is that you separate these out um, and you have, you have um, protection or insulation from liability in either direction. Now for tax purposes, if you are a single member LLC, so you are the only owner of your business, then for tax purposes, you're treated the exact same way as a sole proprietor. So the LLC is a, it's called a pass-through entity if you're a single member LLC, and all of your profit is just going to go straight onto your personal income tax return. And that actually makes things a lot more simple. So you don't need to file taxes separately for your LLC. So coming back to the question of, okay, if you're just starting out, do you need to become an LLC? Can you just operate as a sole proprietor and become an LLC later on? Or do you ever need to be an LLC? It really comes down to, in terms of uh, legal requirement, you're not required to be an LLC. So you could certainly you know, run a photography business as a sole proprietor, but it's all about risk mitigation. So in any business, whether it's you know, photography or you're selling goods or any other service, um, the decision to become an LLC is about mitigating your risk. And really it's as simple as looking at how likely am I to be sued? And the higher that risk is, the more you wanna go, you know, form an LLC. So what I usually say is, you know, look at factors like, um, do you have people coming onto your property? Are you going onto other people's property? Whenever you're physically interacting with your clients, and you are, of course, as a photographer, um, you know, it behooves you, it just gives you more protection and mitigates the risk of, you know, physical accidents and things like that and negligence that can happen. So let's say something as simple as you have your equipment set up and your client um, trips over it and falls. Now, that doesn't mean that you are liable to them for damages, um, you know, but sometimes it's as simple as you are sued and now you need to represent yourself and you never know how that's going to go. Um, negligence is the most common claim that, um, you know, that probably would be made against a photographer beyond, we'll get into when we talk about contracts, um, like copyright and things like that. Um, as to images. But um, in terms of other lawsuits against photographers, it would mostly be about money, so breach of contract, um, copyright issues, and then, you know, some type of physical problem, so property damage or physical injury. And all of those um, damage-related issues of, you know, property damage or injuries are typically based on negligence. And so negligence means, just like when you're driving a car, um, it is when you do something that a reasonable person would not have if they were being careful and they were doing what they should do. So that's something that you can easily do accidentally. Um, you know, so these are all things to consider. And if you can afford it, I think it's always a good idea to go ahead and form an LLC. Depending on where you're located, it may be, you know, just $100 to register your LLC, or it could be several hundred. 
Um, if that's a route that you want to take, you can either do it yourself, you can work with a CPA, or you can work with an attorney. I think that a lot of people can do it on their own, but you certainly want to research you know, the requirements in your state. And it's usually with the secretary of state um, in the state that you're located, where your business is located, that you're going to register your LLC. Yeah, so um, that was really informative. And I'll be honest, I never thought about the opposite, being mm -hmm. personally sued and having someone come after my business. Now, I hope that would ever happen. I think no one really thinks about these things. That's what makes this so important is the fact that, again, you have to mitigate those risks. You've got to plan for it because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in a sticky situation. When I registered my business for an LLC, the process was so easy that I was almost like, that's it. That's all that yeah. it took. Um, yeah. I did go through my secretary of state. I am in Oklahoma just to remind some of you guys, and it cost me $85. That's so, great. Yeah. That's great. And you know, the situation where you were just mentioning being sued personally, you know, some of us can't imagine what we would possibly be sued for, but how about something as simple as a car accident? We all drive every day. You run a red light or, you know, or something, or you, um, you know, you're involved in a motor vehicle accident and someone has injuries that your insurance claim doesn't cover completely and now you are sued and so if you don't have the cash to pay for that and you're a sole proprietor you know they might go and liquidate the assets of your business so that's your camera equipment and things like that to satisfy that judgment oh that's so so true so important so scary to think about but that is why we have to protect ourselves so thank you for the thorough education on that. I think everybody's clear at this point, And I think all photographers need to become LLCs at some point. That's just my opinion. Again, I'm not authorized to give you legal advice. I'm just letting you guys know. Um, I would say yes, because why not protect yourself? Especially like when you said, typically most states, it's about a hundred dollars out of your pocket. I, I will pay that again and again just to protect myself from, you know, possible shutting down my business, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So thank you for that. That was, that was awesome. And I know that that kind of leads into, into the contracts, but before we get there, I know you wanted to touch base on business names. So tell us what you have for that. Sure. Yeah. So when you go to register your LLC, or even if you're acting as a sole proprietor, um, when you consider your business name, if you are operating your business in your personal name, um, so that could be, you know, even tacking on photography after that or something like that, um, then you probably, you don't have an issue with trademark infringement. Trademark infringement comes up if someone has a similar or identical name, but your personal name is not trademarkable. So you don't really need to worry about that. Um, when you register an LLC, you could register it just in your, in your personal name. Um, so for example, I have an LLC that's Kaylee Giacome LLC. Um, if you had a, what's called a fictitious name or a assumed name. So you are, you know, creating a totally different name, like, um, like the, the lovely photography studio or something like that. Um, if you are a sole proprietor and that, but that's your business name, then you want to register that business name as a DBA, which is doing business as. Um, and so that is something that is generally required if you're going to open a business bank account in that name. So people can write checks to the business name rather than to you personally, um, you'll need to register that DBA. Um, it's also 
it's also relevant if you're forming an LLC, you might want the LLC's name to be that fictitious name, like the lovely photography studio, LLC, or you could even do your personal name. So as I said, I have Kaylee Giacome LLC, and then I could have that business name, the lovely photography studio, as a DBA under my LLC. Um, and so what that does is, like if you have different brands going on, like let's say you have, you offer photography, services but now you're getting into education for other photographers and so you have an online course and a membership and things like that and maybe those have um, different names so they could be other dbas within this umbrella llc okay good to know that's actually a question that i had for you and you answered it so that's great okay real quick speaking of trademarks because there are a few photographers on here that listen that do educate other photographers so they do offer maybe mentorships or workshops or and i know workshops are huge that's probably the number one thing people are going to relate to courses memberships all the things that you listed do they need to be trademarked every single one of them and at what point do we need to trademark what we offer sure um so a trademark is um is an identifier so a trademark is something you have in your business, not something that you do. So you register your trademark, but your trademark, so for example, Nike is a trademark, just do it. The slogan is a trademark. The little check mark that, you know, of the of the design logo, that's another trademark. So in your business, you may already have trademarks. Um, they may just be unregistered. So the first step is, and this is when you're naming your business, when you're naming a course, anything like that, you always, if you're not using your personal name, you always want to do a trademark search because even if you don't plan to register your own trademark, which is a choice, you're not required to register a trademark, um, but you need to make sure that you are not using a name that is similar to someone else or confusingly similar. So uh, trademark law protects against even confusingly similar names. So they don't need to be identical. It's just about how similar are the names and how similar are the services that are being offered. Um, so you want to make sure that you do a thorough trademark search to make sure that you are not infringing on someone else's name because what can happen is you get a cease and desist letter in the mail and then you have to rebrand and especially if you are building an audience, if you have a Facebook group, an email list, you know, you're building brand awareness in any way. Um, you don't want to have to go back to the drawing board and have people re-identify with a new brand. Um, so you just want to do your due diligence ahead of time. And then when it comes to when should you register your trademark, that's a business decision more than a legal decision. But I would say whenever you are focused on building a brand, you know, you're investing in brand awareness and you want people to recognize your name and associate it with, you know, the services and goods that you offer, then you want to think about registering your trademark. Um, and my own slogan in my trademark law firm is put a ring on it. So you're locking that name down so other people are not using it and your potential um, customers are not getting confused about who's who. Is this, are these your services or are these, you know, the services of this other person? So. so when it comes to trademarking, whatever it is we're doing or registering our trademark, is this something we do on our own or is this something we can come to you for? How does that process work? Yeah, so you can do it on your own, but you know, every trademark attorney on the planet will suggest that you don't. You know, and that's not just <laughs> and that's not just because we're biased, but um and of course I am biased, but um it's a very tedious process 
And the USPTO, which is the federal office um, that handles trademark registrations, is extremely nitpicky about every detail. And it's not, whereas I agree with you that registering your LLC is very simple and something you could do on your own, registering a trademark is not. It needs to be um, in specific services, you need to make sure that the name is available, again, not just identical names, but confusingly similar ones. So even if um, there are synonyms, you know, if someone is using similar synonyms or a, f um, a phonetically similar word, different combinations of those word words, you could get a refusal based on that and then you forfeit your whole application fee. Um, and then there are just many, many little nitpicky things that instead of, even in situations where you could probably you know, they should allow you to just amend the application and move on with your life. Um, they will just refuse it. And there are many things that cannot be amended. And so you just completely um, forfeit your filing fee. And so I would recommend definitely working with a trademark attorney on that. And it's a long process. It takes minimum of seven months to 12 months to register your trademark. And so when you're working with an attorney, they're dealing with the government attorney on your behalf that whole time. My goodness, I had no idea that all of that went into registering your trademark, but I do know how important it is, especially because like you said, the brand awareness. So, you know, once we figure out exactly like what we're going to build on and what we're going to grow, then for instance, my podcast, my podcast could branch off to many other things, but because I'm committed to it, then therefore I probably need to register the trademark. So very good points there. And I'm learning right along with you guys, because um, I know half this stuff and the other stuff is brand new to me. So that's why I'm so glad that you are on today. So I think that transitions us to contracts, which the famous questions are, do I need to have a contract? Can I write my own? All the things. So school us on contracts. Yes, I think um, a photographer's contract is the single most important legal aspect of their business. Um, you know, be a sole proprietor, but have a good contract, you know, whereas I would recommend that you be an LLC. This is absolutely the most important part of doing business as a photographer. So um, should you have a contract? Yes, 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 absolutely, yes. There are so many things in your contract um, that are absolutely vital, not just to protect you, but to have a good relationship with your clients and then to deal with things like copyright assignment. So a contract is not just, uh, not just simply about legal protection, but the words in your contract have an actual function outside of the document itself. So for example, for a photographer, you're going to have a whole section on intellectual property and copyright. And in that section, and we can go into that a little bit, you are going to extend to your client a license, a limited license to use the photos for their personal use um, or for commercial use. And so you basically, you know, let's say that you, um, do someone's wedding, you, you do all of their photography for their wedding, and you don't have a contract or you have a contract that's missing this part, um, so then you retain all of the copyright to those, those photographs, and your client does not have any rights to print or, you know, or reproduce in any way um, their own wedding photographs, which, of course, there, there was almost no point in working with you in that case, right? Um, so these are really important things that are not going to happen automatically. They only happen in the contract. 
So writing, a, I have this analogy that writing contract is kind of like writing code for a website. So when you're writing code, and I, I am not a, a tech savvy person, back in the day, I dabbled a little bit in like HTML code, which is like the simplest code that ever existed. Um, but, you know, I'm hitting the preview button to see like, okay, the, did that center my title? Um, and things like that. And so what you're writing in code actually does something, you know, it has a function and that's just like a contract. And if you don't know what you're doing when you're trying to write code, you're going to, you're not going to get the result that you want. And it's the same thing with a contract. Whereas when you're, when you are trying to dabble in code, you have that preview button. There's no preview button with a contract. So you don't know what you have there you know, you essentially hit publish when you sign a contract with a client and you don't know what you have there until you put it up to the test. Um, and that only happens when you're already knee deep in legal problems and you can't change it at that point. You can't revise it at that point. So um, yes, very important to have a contract. And, you know, that would lead me into just like I should not be trusted to go write Java code for anybody. You probably don't want to be writing your own contract if you don't know what you're doing. Um, you know, now certainly I think the best situation is that you hire a local attorney in your jurisdiction to draft a custom contract for you. That's always going to be the best, the best way of doing it. Um, a happy medium, and this is what I offer in my own business, is an attorney drafted client contract template. And so it's a template that includes all of the, you know, boilerplate, the legalese, um, you know, that copy paste language, but you know that it's specifically for, you know, wedding photography or specifically for portrait photography, and then it's going to protect you and then you can customize it for your business or each client that you work with. So just to get into I know that we're a little limited on time, but just to get into some of the most important clauses that should be in your contract. So first of all, scope of services, or you could also call this like package details. This is where you specifically state how long is the shoot going to be? Um, how many how many photos or images are they going to get? Like what format are those images going to be in? If you're doing a wedding, um, does that include like a, um, I'm blanking on what the bridal album, does it include a bridal album? Things like that, you wanna be really specific. Um, in your wedding package, if you're going to be doing photos of like, um, you know, the bride getting ready or the rehearsal dinner or um, the after, after party or like the morning brunch the next day, you wanna include that very, very specifically in your contract. And this is also true, you know, the same details that would be applicable for portrait photography. Um, then you want to really be specific about the venue address and times and things like that because you don't, this is basically to protect you. So if you, you know, let's say that you didn't have any of this written down and the bride told you be at this place at this time um, and you followed her instruction, but then she says, I told you you needed to be here an hour earlier or something. You want to have a document that you refer back to that clearly stated all of those details um, and that both, both of you signed. So let's see, of course, terms of payment, like taking a deposit and then the um, terms in which you would potentially refund that deposit, or if you won't refund that deposit for any reason, you wanna state that very clearly. Um, your overtime, travel expenses, things like that. 
So then um, getting into, let's see, copyright ownership. So this is really important, like I said. So typically um, the stand industry standard is that a photographer would retain the copyright to all the images they produce. So that means, you know, of course you have your, your watermark on your, on your photographs. Um, and ultimately the you know, final ownership always stays with you is basically what that means. But if you are doing um, you know, wedding photography or let's see, newborn or senior photos or something like that, generally you are extending to them a limited license for their personal use. And this is language that you wanna state because it's not gonna happen automatically. Um, this permission, you know, is granted through your contract. So it's really important to have it there. If you start doing commercial photography, that's, you know, that's a whole other beast. That means that they are going to be, you know, a company possibly is going to be reproducing these photos, publishing them elsewhere, selling them possibly and things like that. So then you want um, an extended license for commercial purposes and that's different language. So, Let's see, I'm just going through my contract right here to see. Okay, so cancellation, really, really important. You want to be, you know, dive into as much detail in this section as possible. And so in my uh, contract templates, I call this section postponement, cancellation, and termination of agreement. So it's really good to, you know, think about all the worst case scenarios and also the timing of anything that could happen. And let's say it's 30 days out from a wedding and, um, and they cancel the wedding. And so they're not getting married anymore. And so you want to plan in advance, okay, what are we going to, you know, are you, are you going to forfeit your deposit? Are you going to owe any other additional payment? Things like that. If they are going to reschedule the wedding, let's say three months before the wedding, they decide that they're going to postpone it for six months. Well, of course, you know, hopefully you're very busy um, and you're planning your, your calendar out, you know, well in advance, and that could be a conflict for you. So you want to have a clause where you deal with that situation too. So if they're going to reschedule, they need to give you a certain amount of notice. And if you are available on the rescheduled date, you can agree to, you know, still still photograph their wedding. Um, or you may decide to include in your in your contract that, you know, if you're if you're not available or you're um, not willing to reschedule, that they um, forfeit their deposit plus a certain certain amount of money in addition. Um, if they don't give you enough notice, you may include in your contract that they are going to owe you the full contract um, price. Let's say you do a wedding for $4,000. And I don't know if that's a normal amount for, for a wedding, but, um, and then they cancel two weeks in advance. It would be pretty normal um, that they owe you that whole $4,000 now, even though you didn't render any services because you are no longer able to fill that weekend spot with another wedding, of course, because no one's going to hire you to do their wedding two weeks in advance. So that's really important. Um, another thing that people might not think about is, um, so safety and harassment. Hopefully this doesn't come up for you, but if you are at a wedding and like people are drinking and people, you know, start like if they physically assault you or verbally assault you or something like that, um, you should include language in your contract that if that happens, you can leave the event and at no, you know, at, um, at no penalty to you. And also include that 
you know, that determination is within your discretion. So you're not later having an argument of, oh, that wasn't really, you know, a harassing comment or you didn't, you weren't really assaulted. That will be fact specific if it comes up, um, but that you're including in your contract that it's in your discretion to, to determine if you've been harassed um, and have the right to leave. So those are really important things. Um, let's see, also insurance. Um, it's typical in a contract for photographers to say that you maintain business insurance, and I definitely recommend that you do do that. Um, and then uh, another really important clause is, is called force majeure, and that just means if there is a tornado or an act of God or there's a flood and we all need to get on the ark again or something like that, that, um, you, that they are agreeing that you are not going to be responsible for not being able to photograph their event because it was beyond your control. And then a couple other things, limitation of liability. This is a really, really important um, clause to have in your contract. And this is one of the, one of the um, most difficult clauses, I would say, to draft. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that you try to DIY this. But limitation of liability basically means that you and your client are agreeing upfront what your maximum liability would be, even if you mess up. So let's say, um, and I'm trying to think of a, of a hypothetical here. Let's say um, that you agreed that you were going to provide um, final images to your client within like a month after the wedding or something like that. And then let's say that they had, I'm totally making this up. <laughs> let's say they had some kind of contract lined up that they were going to like be on TV um, for some newlywed show and they had to like submit their wedding images or something like that and now they don't have them because you are late and so what I'm getting at is that's something that most people would not reasonably anticipate like you're not gonna you're not gonna guess that ahead of time and it's so this it's this domino effect so you innocently messed up um, and maybe you did breach the contract maybe you're two weeks late or something like that and it, it does violate the contract but it creates this like cascade domino effect for your client. So they have damages that are beyond just getting their wedding photos two weeks late. Now this is a really like admittedly ridiculous example. There are other much more realistic things that could come up. Um, like, you know, someone being injured or something like that um, on site. But the point is that in a limitation of liability clause, you want to agree up front what your maximum liability is going to be. So if these other things, you know, happen as a result that you can't guess, you're not going to be responsible for all the dominoes that fall down. So I would say those are the most important clauses to have in your contract. They're certain not, certainly not the only ones, um, you know, but they're, they're the most important. Awesome. That was so thorough. And I'll be honest, I don't have some of those things in my contract. So we're going to be changing that and I will not DIY it. I will go get it from you. <laughs> but I did have a couple questions that came to mind. And one of them is I know that there are several people thinking I just started. I don't have very many clients. Do I really need a contract right now? What would you tell them? You don't want to work with anyone without a contract. If you don't have a contract, then you're not ready to take a client. Okay. I love it. Straight to the point. And it's so true because here's the thing. We're going to have a nightmare client at some point. Okay. It happens to everybody. And I would hope that you guys have yourself protected. That's literally all it is. You are 
the way I see it is when I give someone a contract, I am telling them I am legit. I'm a professional. I'm protecting myself as well as you because I realize the money you're paying me is an investment. And I want you to know that your investment is protected and that I really am operating a business and not just a side hustle or hobby. So that's how I think of it. And the barrier to entry is um, meaning like the, all the business costs that you're going to incur to start a photography business um, are, you know, compared to other businesses that you could start are relatively low. Um, it's going to be your equipment mostly, right? Your photography equipment. And then the other main expense should be your contract. You need a good camera and probably editing software and a contract. Those are the things that you need. So before you go investing into a website and logo design, those are things that can wait until later. I agree 100%. So the last question that I have for you about contracts are a lot of the things that we lay out in our contract, regardless of if we have a good one or not a good one at this point. I know we all hate when we see our clients take our photo, edit the photo or alter it in some way. That is actually something that the majority of us do have lined out in our contract. And my question is, and I see it everywhere, how do we enforce these things on our clients without overstepping like a boundary or being rude? Because I know that this is like a huge pain point that every person on here has had someone do. Yeah. And so a lot of how to navigate that is, is really more um, business advice really. And, you know, like, like client management than legal advice. So legally, um, you know, that's a, a copyright issue. So they've altered um, the image and they didn't have the rights to do that um, from the license you gave them. So, you know, if you were to not care about customer service or anything like that, um, you could just send them a letter that says that you demand that they take this photo down because it's in violation of, um, you know, this clause in your contract relating to their copyrights and the license that they were extended. Um, from a, you know, more relational point of view, the way that I would handle that um, is to contact them and remind them, you know, like, and start, start with, um, you know, like you're boiling a pot of water. So you start it, you know, and it's just starting to warm up and you, you increasingly add more heat as a client um, doesn't respond to your request. And that's true for any kind of dispute that you have with a conflict. So begin in a, you know, polite way. So um, hey, Sally, you know, saw that you posted the wedding photo and made some alterations to it. Like, um, I was so glad to be a part of your great day, but your big day, but I just want to remind you, you know, as we agreed in the contract, um, you're actually not allowed to do that. So if you wouldn't mind taking it down, like, I greatly appreciate that, you know, and start there. And then, you know, you may need to ratchet it up as you go. And of course, there's, um, you know, with any decision to sue someone or take legal action or make a threat of that or anything, there's a relational cost to that, you know? And so you always have to consider from relationally and money-wise, is this worth pursuing? And so you just ask yourself that, that question as you turn up the heat. Yes. And I think the majority of us end up letting it go for the, you know, for the fact that we do respect our clients. And I, I just think that's the, that's the one gray area, unfortunately, for photographers is that's the number one offense I see happen. 
but a lot of us just don't want to say anything about it. We'll say, I mean, we'll vent about it, right? but we're, yeah. we're not going to approach them. But I was just curious what you would suggest on that. So all of this was amazing. Definitely the best presentation I've ever heard of um, these particular topics. So oh, glad to hear that. Yes, I, I so appreciate that. Where can people get more information on the services you provide, but also connect with you online? Sure. So I have, um, my website is contractista.com. So that's um, C-O-N-T-R-A-C-T-I-S-T-A, contractista.com. Um, and then if you have any questions for me directly, I have a private Facebook group. Um, and that's probably the easiest way to pop in and ask a question. And that's called On Her Way Up. So it's a group of, well, it's for female entrepreneurs. If you're a male photographer, you are also welcome to join us in On Her Way Up. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was so, so good. Um, I hope people listen again and take notes because this is definitely something you want to take notes for. And also, I would love to direct them over to your website to check out what you have going on and to make sure that their business is set up and that they are legal and protected. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. If you haven't already and you are loving this podcast, would you take just a second and hit that subscribe button? This will automatically deliver new episodes to your phone every Thursday. And if you want to go above and beyond, I would love for you to leave an honest rating and review. This helps other photographers find the show and get the support they need. Thank you so much for listening and I'll meet you back here next week.